0: for framing this Passion of Isaiah very nicely in all the songs that we sang. I don't know if that was purposeful, but certainly it was appropriate. And we give praise to our Lord for, for the songs that we sang this morning for the wonderful time of just praising Him and lifting up our voices to Him. Turn with me, if you will please, again back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I don't plan on spending any time this morning reviewing the things that we looked at last week. I hope they're still fresh in your minds. And if you weren't here last week, you can certainly pick up a, a tape or, a, or, I said no longer tapes, are they? You can listen online as it's, as it's streaming. And, uh, man, am I dating myself or what? And uh, you can listen to the message and catch the things by which we are building in order to get into the portion that we want to concentrate our attention on this morning. I will just remind you of the outline that we gave. Again, I I reiterate that I'm borrowing a page from John Clifford's notebook, I suppose. And that is, this chapter nicely breaks down into three sections. A holy God, a humbled servant, and a hard ministry. Three H's that are very easy to remember. So as I read through this portion again this morning, we're going to read the entire portion again. And as I'm reading through, try to remember the things that were spoken of last week as we get to uh, verse 9 and onward where we're going to spend our uh, time this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming. As a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. And may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's pray together. Father, when we view your word and we read its words, it is only by the means of thy spirit that it can penetrate our hearts. And we pray that Thy Spirit might speak to our hearts and lives this morning, guiding us and directing us as we listen to Your Word. Bless, we pray, that Your Son might be lifted up and glorified. For we ask it in His name. Amen. Imagine if you will, and for some of you this will be a difficult thing to do. But imagine if you will, I'm looking at Elaine. Imagine, if you will, that you are a young man or a young woman. For some of us, that you have to go back and imagine a long time ago. But imagine you are a young man and or a young woman with a heart to serve the Lord. You have a desire for the things of God. And you want to give your life and dedicate your life to the service of God. And you have been led by the Lord step by step, to begin sharing His message, to begin sharing the Gospel of Jesus Christ, showing a lost world of its need for the Savior. And after several years, you sense the Lord is leading you into full-time missionary service for Him. You sense that the Lord is directing you. You sense that the Lord is is leading you. And as a part of that call, a part of that call, the Lord says to you, I want to send you to preach the gospel. I want to send you to disciple men and women. I want to send you to the Philippines. I want to send you to Singapore. I want to send you to Zimbabwe or Niger, wherever. But you will have no fruit whatsoever. You will have no fruit. All your preaching, all your teaching, all your helping, all your compassion for the people will have no effect on the people whatsoever. In fact, their hearts will become harder and harder against the message you're trying to bring. And furthermore, I will close their ears so that they will not hear your message. No one will repent. No one will repent. No one will comprehend the things You are saying. Lord, why are You sending me? Why are You sending me? If there's going to be no fruitfulness in this at all, if there's going to be no benefit from the ministry that I bring, Why are you sending me? What purpose will that fulfill? What eternal value is there in that? That no one will hear. No one will understand. Yet, you had given yourself to the service of God. You had given yourself over to Him and to His calling. No one, no one will enjoy a fruitless ministry. No one will enjoy a seemingly fruitless time. Years and years spent bearing no fruit. Seeing no evidence of repentance in the hearts of people. Oftentimes, in missionary work, I've shared this with a couple of people over the past couple of months. Oftentimes in missionary work, one will stand back after many years and contemplate the value. Contemplate the value. The purpose. The effect of many years of service. Lord, what value was there? Were lives changed? Were lives changed and, and continually being changed? Are men and women walking with you now that may not have walked with you? Lord, was anything of eternal value accomplished in all of those years? What value was there in all these years of service? Was there not even a lasting impact in the lives of those you served? We all know the story of the American missionary Judson who arrived in Burma in 1812 and died there 38 years later in 1850. During that time, he suffered for the Gospel of Christ. During that time, he suffered much for the Gospel. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in shackles. And after the death of his first wife, Anna, To whom he was devoted, for several months he was so depressed that he sat daily by her graveside and wept for several months. Three years later he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in Him, but I cannot find Him. I believe in Him, but I cannot find Him. But Judson's faith sustained him in the midst of what seemed to be a fruitless effort. The faith of God. faith that the Lord gave him sustained him. And he threw himself in the tasks that he had come to do. This is what the Lord called me to. I will continue to work in it. Regardless of what I see, I will continue to work. And he threw himself into translation of the Scriptures. And after many years, the New Testament was translated. And after that time, he put his heart and soul into translating the Old Testament. By the time he translated the New Testament, and by the time he translated the Old Testament... After many many years, and he was drawing close to the end of his own life, there were like maybe twelve to twenty believers in the whole country, and no local churches to speak of. An apparent, from man's standpoint, a failure in his missionary service. What did you do? Well, I gave them the word of God. But it didn't change anybody's life. No one responded. No one listened. Now, statistics, of course, are unclear. But we remember in at the hundred we read this in uh, the hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the translation, hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the translation of that Bible into the Bernese language. A brother Paul. Borthwick, was addressing a crowd that was celebrating this translation of the Bible. A huge crowd of people were there to to celebrate. And as he was getting ready to speak, he was just looking at the Bible and he flipped over a page. And there in little small print it said, translated by Reverend Adoniram Judson. And he turned and he, The guy who was sitting next to him was going to be his translator and said, what do you know of this man? And he said, and the brother's tears welled up in his eyes and they began to trickle down his face. He said, I never knew him, of course. But it was because of him and because of the translation that he labored with all of those years, there are now... Over 600,000 believers in this country and we owe it all to Him. Judson never saw it. Judson never experienced it. The value of His service. And that may be the case for some of us. It may be the case for some of us. We may be called to invest our lives in ministries for which we will see not much immediate fruit. We may be called to ministries to just trust the Lord of all grace who oversees His work that will ensure that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Are we able to trust the Lord When we see no evidence, we live in a society that is so award dominated, accolades dominated. We we live in a society where people want instant reward for everything they do. They want that instant pat on the back and an instant reward for something they've accomplished. They want the gold medal. They want the silver medal. They want the bronze medal. They want all of these things given instantly. And my friends, oftentimes, that is not the way the Holy God works. It's not the way He works. He's looking for hearts that have been changed by a vision of the holiness of Himself. He wants hearts that are committed to Him regardless of what you see because you have learned to trust in Me. Are we those kind of people? Or are we the type who need instant reward? If we don't see in ten years what we expected to see, we don't see in 20 or 30 years what we expected to see. But your heart has been for the Lord. And your heart has been sold out. And you have sought to yield yourself to the Spirit of God in the ministry that you've been performing. Will you be content to know that I sought to walk with the Lord? I sought to do what pleases Him. And I leave the results with Him. Because He is Faithful. He has been faithful and always will be faithful. So in the final analysis, the service to the Lord from a faithful heart is the value. Is the value. He is the Master. He is the High and Exalted One who's lifted up, whom we have caught a glimpse of Through the pages of Scripture, He is our God. We are the servants. We are the servants. Will we be faithful to what He has given us to do? Small or big, we will be faithful to what He has given us to do. The Lord will do what He will do with what was spoken, with what was taught, with what was done. In the end, it's His work. In the end, it's His work. It's His work. Done by faithful men and women for His glory. The Lord will oftentimes have a long-range plan of which he and his sovereignty will not make us privy, but he wants you perhaps to be one cog in that long plan, for which he will reach out to many. He only asks that we be faithful to what he has asked us to do. Are we faithful? what He has asked us to do. Big or small, what He has asked us to do. Now the message Isaiah has been commanded to bring, which he will be faithful to proclaim, is one that is extremely difficult. Who will I send? Who will go for me? And you'll remember from last week's message the response of a humbled Isaiah. Here am I. Will I do? Can you use me? If I yield myself to you, will you use me? Can you use me? The likes of me? Can you use me? And the resounding answer to each one of us here seated this morning is yes, he can, and yes, he will. If you will but yield yourself to Him. Keeping Him in the center. He desires to use all His children. Use the gifts that He has given to each one of us. For His glory. And for His honor. Now He says to Isaiah here. Let's go on now to verse 9. And He said, Go and tell this people. Here is your mission statement, Isaiah. Here is what you are to do. Keep on hearing. Tell these people keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. They have become like the idols that they worship who have eyes but cannot see, who have ears but cannot hear, who have feet but cannot walk. And cannot move, who have mouths but cannot speak. They've become like idols that they served on the high places. Make the heart of this people dull. That's your ministry. That's your ministry, Isaiah. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. God's commission to Isaiah is a ministry that will actually prevent repentance so that judgment will come. Strange ministry, isn't it? Difficult ministry. And as I said last week, He's speaking to the nation as a whole. That does not mean that within the whole of that nation, there may be individuals who arise up and say, I don't agree with the way the nation's going. I repent and I give myself to the Lord. And the Lord will preserve them and the Lord will take care of them and prosper them. He is still the same God of grace and mercy that He has always been. But on judgment as the nation of a, as a whole, that it turned its back on Him, judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. This hearing does not lead to life. This hearing leads to death. Always hearing, but never able to come to the truth, to a knowledge of the truth, Paul would say to Timothy. That's the way mankind can be. Always hearing, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Now, this theme shows up over and over again in Scripture, and you're quite familiar with that. Over and over in Scripture, this same theme comes. You remember what is said in John 8 of our Lord Jesus when He was teaching? It said, because I tell you the truth, because I tell you the truth, you will not believe. And notice, it isn't a if, although I tell you the truth, you won't believe. It's because I am speaking the truth, you will not believe the truth. It's the very truth that they will not believe. It's precisely, the Lord says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. It is the truth in their circumstance there in John and in here in Isaiah 6. It is precisely because I tell you the truth. It is the truth that is guaranteeing their unbelief. The truth causes their unbelief. Interesting, isn't it? It is the very mindset that sent the Lord Jesus to the cross. It's the very mindset of men and women that drove the Lord Jesus to the cross. They would not believe the truth. And even when the truth was there in front of them, the one who embodied truth, they would not hear. They would not receive. But He went to the cross. And He suffered and bled and died for those very people who would not believe the truth. And afterwards, many came to know Him. Many believed in the truth. Many among the Pharisees even came to Him and believed. But they would not believe His Word. They turned their backs on Him. would not believe they are willfully going on in their blindness they have become so hard so anti god that they will not see they will not hear they will refuse to understand they have become so anti god that they refuse to believe That's amazing. They are willfully determined. Willfully, in their minds, they have determined to go in another direction. Their minds are set on their own course that they will not believe the truth even when it is presented to them. Amazing. Doesn't it sound a bit like Second Thessalonians, God sends them a strong delusion that they believe the lie. That's what human hearts are like. That's what our hearts were like before we came to Him. Now when Isaiah hears this message, here is your marching orders, Isaiah. This is what your ministry will be his first response is, Lord, for how long? How long? I mean, I'm here and I can preach this message, but for how long will it be before they begin to turn back? How long will it be that I have to preach this message, cause their hearts to become dull? How long must I preach it Before they will turn and say, We see it, Isaiah. We repent in sackcloth and ashes. And the Lord's response to him is, They will never turn back. And even after I carry them away into captivity, Israel to Assyria, Judah, to Babylon even after they're all carried away and a tenth remains even that tenth i will consume nothing left there will be nothing left what a way to encourage a guy going on in ministry What a way to encourage a man. His judgment is confirmed. It will happen. The hearts of these people have caused it. Do you remember? And I'm sure some of your minds have gone back already to the Exodus. To Pharaoh. Seated on the throne in Egypt. And there when God comes down, it talks about how Pharaoh's heart was turned against the people of Israel. And then it says that he hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. And then it says he hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. Despite all the miracles that were being shown, he hardened his heart and would not accept it. Would not believe it. And then it says, and God hardened his heart. There came a point of no return. There came a point of no return. The hardening of his heart brought about a point of judgment that was coming into the land of Egypt. A point of no return had been reached and judgment would fall. Now with Isaiah here, it's like 140 years before these events will even occur. It's like 140 years in the future before these events will occur. But there's no turning back for the nation as a whole. Judgment from God is fixed. It will come. As He promised it would for the nation that would turn against Him and not obey His laws and follow after idols. This is the ministry to which He is called. That's what the text tells us. When the Lord is preaching... And teaching the people in parables. You'll remember. Go to Matthew 13. We want to just look at Matthew 13 for a couple of minutes as well. Because we see the same thing. And he actually goes and quotes these portions from from Isaiah. In verse 10, the disciples ask him, "Why? Why is it that you speak to them in parables, Lord? Why why do you speak to them in parables? Why aren't you just very, very clear in what you say? Why do you you speak to them in parables? And the Lord Jesus answers from that portion in Isaiah. Illustrating that His time was like Isaiah's time. He came unto His own and His own receives Him not. They would not hear it. They would not receive the truth when it came. Let's read it here. I I mean, this is Matthew 13, beginning at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He said to them and answered, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That I should heal them. They have closed their eyes. They have hardened their hearts. They are anti-God. They are against Me. Now, how would you like that kind of ministry? In some ways, my brothers and sisters, we have it. In some ways, in the generation in which we live, we have this ministry. Let me give you some examples although you can create a multitude of them in your own mind. Who has not seen, and I know I've said this before, but who has not, in this room, not seen an ultrasound with the modern ultrasound technology of a child within the womb? Who of you in this room have not seen even a video ultrasound where you see the child actually moving in the womb. They even have 3D ultrasounds now where you can three-dimensionally see the child within the womb. And when you see that child in the womb, what do you see? You see a baby, don't you? Your mind will say, that's a baby in there. Look at that. It's got a head and it's got arms and it's got legs. It's got little fingers. It's got... It's it's moving around in there. It is a baby. Seeing they will not see. Show them that ultrasound and say, "Well, it's it's just a fetus inside the woman and the woman has the right to, to abort it and destroy it and kill that baby if she chooses to." But yet if the, if the mother is hit by a drunk driver, it's a double homicide. Seeing they will not see because they are so anti-God and will not have God to rule over them, will not have the Lord to rule over them, they will see undeniable truth and deny it. True? You can have clear scientific evidence of there being male And female. And they will not listen to the evidence and call it false science. Visit the Creation Museum in Kentucky sometime if you haven't done that. And look at all the evidence that credible scientists, believers and unbelievers alike, have gathered... And have on display that speak of a catastrophic flood. And the evidence is geologically of a catastrophic flood. And you can see and see and see and not believe. You can read the accounts and be told the words themselves have no meaning. That to me is, a, is it's one of those amazing things nowadays that you can teach in a university and you can say when you read a book, when you read any book, the words themselves have no meaning. The interpretation comes by the meaning that you place on the words. What you cause them to mean will be the meaning. And so you can create out of any literature... Any kind of narrative that you want to take. Rachel used to run into this situation when she was at university and she was doing her major in uh, English. And they had to do a lot of reading, a lot of literature. And then they'd have these class discussions about this classical literature that they were reading. And she would say, invariably, I don't care what it was that you read It was always boiled down to they were homophobic. They they were anti-woman. And you read it and you say, where did you get that from? How did you read that in there? Well, words have no meaning. I can place whatever things I want to mean on these words. And that's the way men and women will handle the Word of God. Give it any meaning you want. That's what Christians do, they'll say. They'll interpret it any way they want. that best fits their agenda. And I see it and I read it. And it doesn't mean what you say it means. It means this. I saw a sign outside a church in uh, Farmington yesterday. It was a big, well, not yesterday, last week. It was a big banner with the Stripes of the rainbow, which we all know what it represents, all the stripes of the rainbow on it, and it says right in the middle, "God is still speaking." And is the is the word? Are the words true? It absolutely is. But what do they mean by those words? They mean there's no there's no. Um, no non-acceptance, I couldn't think of the right word, of all of you inclusively in our group. All of you can inclusively come in and we'll all be accepted. Seeing, hearing, but not seeing and not hearing. doesn't mean that God doesn't love all man. doesn't mean that God doesn't love all of those people. But there's a refusal to listen to the truth. Truth is now called true truth. True facts. When I hear that, it's like, what sense does that make? Either it's true or it's not true. There's true truth and there's fake truth. How can that be? Either it's one or it's the other. It makes no sense to me. All truth is relative. All truth is subject to the interpretation of the individual. So truth becomes subjective and not concrete. You see where that leads? Seeing, hearing, reading. They have no comprehension of truth. Of absolutes and truth. Truth. Hate and violence is okay as long as it pushes your agenda forward and becomes a righteous crusade. Tolerance has become intolerance. And there is an absolute anti-God sentiment permeating society and they willfully forget. They willfully forget. And that's a recalling of that portion in Second Peter 3. They willfully forget. Remember Romans 1: 128? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. People do not want God interfering with what they consider to be a good time. People don't want God interfering. They don't believe the warnings of Scripture. That there's a day of judgment coming. That they're under God's judgment now. And will eventually face it eternally when they die. People think that they're basically good. And that God will overlook their faults. And give them credit for their good deeds on judgment day. So they don't repent of their sins. They see no need for it. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To save them from God's judgment. They don't see it. They don't see it. And although throughout the hard ministry, the hard message, the Lord will give glimpses of hope. Only, He will give glimpses of hope that Isaiah will never experience personally. And maybe we won't experience personally, in this age. Go tell these people. And it is our duty to tell them. Just because, let me be careful, I I wrote this down and framed it. So let me read read it carefully. Just because we do the right things in the right ways does not, Guarantee ministry success. There used to be that saying, and I, I can't remember who said it. Some of you will remember, I think it was George Mueller. Not to disparage George Mueller in any way, he was a tremendous man of faith. But I think the statement was God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. True? There are many times those who are out doing God's work in God's way lack tremendous supply. I've experienced it. Joyce's grandfather. Here's Joyce's grandfather who was a pioneer missionary in the Philippines, served there for over 60 years in the Philippines as a missionary. And I got, had the privilege of several years ago of reading his journals. The journals that ran from 1930s into just before the war began where they were held as captives of the Japanese for, for a number of years. But in his journals, he would talk like this. Went to the post office today. Our needs are desperate. There were no gifts. A couple pages later, returned to the post office. Still Nothing. We are a month behind in our mortgage, and we can't meet our bills. A few pages later, we are re- a few pages later. A couple of months have now passed, and he- there's reading in between that. But the next one on this line of thought is: Went to the post office. The Lord has not supplied. We are now three months behind on our mortgage. We are th- we are behind in all of our bills. We don't know what's happening. If we don't catch up by next month, we will lose the house. And then a couple pages later, you read, God has marvelously provided. And we paid the three months. And we have food on the table. Sometimes the Lord has different plans and different purposes to make us trust Him. And rest in Him. And just because we're having hard times does not mean that the Lord is not at work. Just because you're having hard times in ministry doesn't mean the Lord is not at work. Several times we experience that. And I'll tell you something I wouldn't change it for anything, I wouldn't change it for anything. There were things the Lord taught me in those times that I could not have learned any other way. Just because you do things in the right way doesn't guarantee ministry success. Things are running on God's timetable, not ours. Our responsibility is what it has always been. Speak and preach the truth, regardless of the apparent results. Continue to preach and teach the truth. We are called to be faithful in dry times. If our only measure of faithfulness is fruitfulness, we will often be discouraged. We will often be discouraged. But if our eyes have caught a glimpse of the Holy God, who's commissioned us. The Holy Savior who delivered us and saved us and thrust us out into His work. If we can only catch a glimpse of that, it will sustain you through all the difficult times. That is the reason God gave Isaiah the vision then. To sustain him going forward. Who will I send? Who will I send? The broken man. Who will I send? The broken woman who has seen God. The broken man. The broken woman who has seen in their heart through the pages of Scripture the living God. who will i send the hardening of israel which will go on in cycles throughout the old testament is seen in the new the new means of deliverance that would be coming in the messiah so it says in at the end of verse at the end of the chapter he talks about the stump that is cut down so the holy seed shall be its stump And if you turn over to chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And it goes on to speak of the millennial time that will come when the lion will lay down with the lamb. And there is hope. Hope given to Isaiah. Hope given to you and I. For even though we may have hard ministries, even though the world may not listen to the things we have to say, even though we continue to tell the truth with no visible evidence of change in anyone's life, we continue to do what God has called us to do. And you and I have hope. Don't we? One day, one day, you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us who know Him as our Savior will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things done in this body, whether good or useless. It won't be a judgment of our sin that has already been forgiven. It will be, what have you done with the ministry I placed in your hands. You started out, but you became discouraged and quit. You started out on fire, but you became discouraged and stopped sharing the Gospel. My friends, I long to hear. I may not hear it. But I long to hear from the lips of my Savior, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. Do you long to hear those words? Then now is the time. Continue on. Because you have all the hope in the world. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ the high and exalted and lifted up One. We give You thanks that He is the perfect One. He is pure light in whom there is no darkness whatsoever. And the pure light and pure truth came into this world and men would not receive the truth. They would not even listen from the lips of God Himself in the flesh. And so, Father, We don't expect anything different. But we know that Your Spirit is at work. And we know that Your Spirit is moving in the hearts and minds of men and women. Cause us, Lord. Help us to be yielding to Thy Spirit. Faithful to Thy Word. Faithful to the call to make disciples. Faithful to share Your Word. Share Your truth. Regardless of the the seeming results and may we just leave the results with You and be faithful. Here am I. Here am I. Can You use me? May it be our prayer to You today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.